0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. In this episode of the Smart Economy Podcast, I sat down and spoke with Gregor Zuxay, the executive director at Swarm. Swarm is a decentralized storage platform and communication service comprised of a collective of peer-to-peer nodes. The project was conceptualized in 2015 and initially founded within the Ethereum Foundation, but has since spawned a new foundation of its own to foster community and development. In this conversation, Gregor and I talk about what the blockchain space was like in 2015, the importance of decentralized storage in Web3, data ownership and privacy, interesting use cases, how Swarm operates, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Gregor, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Forgive me, I'm not even going to try and butcher your last name. We're here with Gregor Z, the director of the Swarm Foundation. How are you doing today, Gregor?
1: All good. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Excited for the upcoming discussion.
0: Yeah, really excited to have you join. In the past month, you're the second sort of distributed file storage architecture focused type of person we've had come join the pod. So I'm really excited to talk about Swarm and Swarm Foundation. But before we jump into all of that, when I was researching you, I had a really fun time learning about your background. You've worked with music festivals, you were the creative director for an entrepreneurship platform, you marketed stage shows, you did outreach for a documentary about the Maya. Uh, startups, and then you got into the blockchain space. So could you just share a little bit about your, your winding path and, and how you ended up at Swarm Foundation?
1: Yes, yeah, sure. It actually made me uh, feel a little bit old because yes, a lot of things uh, have happened. And I'm grateful for all the experiences. In a way, when I meet sometimes people from 10 years ago or something like that, uh, and they ask me what I do today, I say uh, kind of the same thing, just a different genre. It's always somehow freedom was always the central piece uh, in uh, what I was doing In this way. It was uh, either freedom of the mind or just of the thought. So kind of working also more on the other side uh, in the underground, not uh, in the mainstream. So I guess, you know, there we see kind of a lot of also value alignment. And in a, way, in a way, we can see people on a really good uh, festival, on an underground festival. They share surprisingly a lot of values with uh, the hacker community or the crypto community. So same things, different genre uh, in a way. It's also, I've always worked on things that I felt with my whole heart. And in this way, it's kind of, I am grateful for uh, my past experience. It feels like a little bit as a journey. Where it's kind of continuing from the previous chapter to the to the next one, trying to upgrade it, I guess. In crypto space, I ended my uh, there in a way because it actually it was one of the first Ethereum meetups in Vienna in two thousand fifteen, something like that. And there was Vitalik, and it clicked uh, for me uh, on several things as it was about Ethereum was about decentralized business models. And before you know we also had like a project called urban tribe and things like that where we are really about decentralization before even knowing about decentralization i even wrote about it in my bachelor thesis uh even though i kind of i got strange looks from my professors at, the, at that point and essentially the the idea of the world computer was really addressing many of the interests that i had and i guess um then the rest is history So uh, SWORN, I found about SWORN, it was the answer to also the peer-to-peer storage that I was looking into. At that point, I was uh, doing also my master's in cognitive science, looking into user modeling. And there's a lot of science in user modeling, and it's quite scary what can be done with really, sometimes it seems innocent data for those who know how to analyze it. And because of that, I never wanted that any solutions in that sense would be stored on centralized servers, because it's just a honeypot of really very sensitive data that in the wrong hands could be really abused. So uh, I would even argue sometimes even more than just the usual kind of data that leaks in the sense of passwords and things like that. So once somebody really gets to know your personality profile, your habits, things about you, they can press some buttons. Let's put it this way.
0: Yeah. I mean, even here, we were supposed to... Like the Equifax data breach, there are these quasi-financial institutions that are supposed to protect our information, and yet they're susceptible to breaches, to hacks, to losing our information. So this this isn't something new. It sounds like it's been a problem for as long as you've known about Ethereum. So I guess uh, before we delve into the solutions that Swarm can provide the greater world, what was the perspective of Ethereum when you first went to that meetup? 2015, it's still brand spanking new. What were the types of individuals that were going to those meetups? Who were the types of people you were meeting? Um, What was just like the general ideology of Ethereum and building the world's supercomputer back then?
1: Great question. So I'll probably never forget that meetup. It was something like 10 to 15 people uh, there. And we're essentially, I would say we were all lost. And in a way, I kind of heard a little bit of this sci-fi movie uh, music in the background, you know, just kind of felt like, uh, imagine, uh, majority was essentially introverted Uh, developers. None of us really knew what it's all about. Myself, I did not really understand how blockchain works. There was Vitalik doing this presentation. I was kind of running some concepts about data markets with Vitalik, which I did not understand his answers. I I just tell it out straight. But at the same time, there was this feeling we're onto something. So we're onto something and it's something that should be you know, work more on uh, that. Should be uh, we should stay in pursuit of that. So it felt, uh, even though nobody was saying this, I think even Vitalik might have said something like, "We are not sure if we are going to do it." Something like that. We don't know yet exactly all the nuts and bolts, but um, it felt that if we are successful at this, it can have a positive impact on the society if done right.
0: Yeah, I actually use a lot of italics presentations as a benchmark for how much i've learned in this space so i'll go back every now and then and watch something that i watched years ago and if i can understand it a little bit more then i feel like i've made progress in building my knowledge
1: (laughs) because it was you know even even like basic concepts like back then this was before ethereum's ico so it was like the combination of open source and crypto tokens and what is an ico and everything was strange but it was good
0: Were you already thinking about how blockchain could be used in like with Swarm? Were you already thinking of, oh, we can create these decentralized data storage entities, servers, whatever you want to call them? Was this something you were already thinking? Or were you just kind of along the lines of, I'm seeing how data can be manipulated. I'm kind of getting a little bit scared. And then also, here's this cool blockchain thing in the background. Or were you starting to connect the dots and see uh, what could be possible?
1: So for me, I was back then, I was already thinking and uh, doing also some research papers within my studies on uh, how the data would be shared and handled. And hearing the presentation, it was just like, yes, this is what I've been looking for it was at that point i was uh, still thinking and i'm still involved with that how to how to actually create data marketplaces in a uh, what we call fair data economy so in in a way how to unlock the value that we see now in the big tech titans and give it to the people so to speak you know make it make the distribution fair so i kind of approached to this in a way, I, I could say like from, from the layer two perspective. And then at that point, uh, Swarm was just a dev team within Ethereum Foundation. I met Victor in 2016 and we clicked and we've been working uh, well together. We've been supporting also a lot Swarm, but it turned out that also speaking about data marketplaces for the people, so to speak, well, until, there's, until Swarm is ready, Basically, it's not possible to do it uh, without uh, doing major compromises. So in a way, everybody liked the vision of what we were doing, but it was a bit like selling houses on Mars. Where everybody said, like, oh, it's a great house, but how do I get to Mars? And Swarm is the answer. So in late 2019, uh, Swarm started to graduate from Ethereum Foundation. And this was this was kind of also the moment when we actually joined the forces because there was also a need for Swarm to become an organization. So to to have this uh, complementary part to the development team. And uh, yes, since then, since then, I'm full time on Swarm.
0: Did you or anyone from your team go to East Denver this year?
1: Uh, yes, uh, we had some people there. I I wasn't there, but yeah, there were some of our team members.
0: Um, Maybe from what they've shared with you, the crypto and blockchain space in 2023 looks way different than it did in 2015 and way different than it did in 2019. So what are some of the comparisons from back then to today? What kind of is similar? What's different? And what might surprise you about where we've landed today as an industry whether we've, how far we've come or what we've missed?
1: That's a great question. So definitely the 2015 time and today, there were so many different waves, you know, from the, let's say the uh, the bear and bull cycles, they always also change a bit the structure. New people are joining. And uh, right now, I think what I like, especially this year, I think there is a bigger shift uh, towards, um, let's say the, regenerative finance towards uh, uh solar punk movement we hear a lot and then at the same time we hear about the lunar punks uh, and uh, in my opinion they work well in uh, complement they address uh, different topics so I think this year has become also with the uh, growth of the DAOs a lot more social impact driven and this is this is what I like a lot I remember in 2016 there was the DAO hack and i still have some domains even from back from the day and i was told like for 3 years don't use the name dao you know now dao is back in uh, full swing and i think yeah we are we are in for a great new episodes so i'm i'm feeling very optimistic there is also a lot more plural back in the day there was just one chain so um i mean besides bitcoin uh, let's say one evm compatible chain today There's really a wide range of choices. Uh, I think the ecosystem is a lot more diverse and uh, we see how this openness kind of can feed into the other projects and vice versa. So it's good. I think it's good times to be part of the whole blockchain Web3 decentralized movement, however we call it.
0: I agree. Um, I've been here since 2017 working in the space. For someone who's maybe newer to the space, it might be a little scary with the regulatory concerns that are popping off around the world, but some jurisdictions are a little bit more friendly to others. I don't necessarily think we have to go into that topic right now, but you did bring up DAOs. And I've always thought that decentralized file storage systems are perfect use cases for DAOs because if we want to share files associated with our DAO, if we want to get our members up to date if we want to store meeting minutes somewhere that are accessible to everyone then something like swarm or some other file storage network on the back end is going to be used is going to be very valuable so are you guys finding that uh, at the swarm foundation you're beginning to collaborate with DAOs more so or less so is is there a noticeable trend could you just share a little bit about that
1: uh, sure yeah that's a that's a great observation so I would say that uh, Swarm really fits uh, for the DAOs. Of course, there are several types of DAOs, different use cases. And yes, there is also a long-term goal uh, of uh, Swarm eventually to become a DAO. So um, that's definitely, I would say, on the table, so to speak. We just see that uh, there's more DAOs approaching us, that there's the question, uh, the more the complexity of the DAOs is growing, the more there's also the need for data, you know. So it's like either the proposals need to have uh, bigger descriptions or um, just more uh, metadata for it, or um, the the whole processes are more more complex. So we do see that in a way that uh, swarm can be a very substantial part of uh, next generation DAOs, of uh, fully decentralized DAOs. Seen also in the past that. Uh, some DAOs already tried to go full decentralization route, but the technology just wasn't there. I'm speaking here uh, of Colony. I think Colony is doing a great job. They've been also working on it for quite a while. And there's been one blog post a couple of years ago how they needed to scale back. So definitely seeing such use cases in the future would be just amazing. In a way, I think this also feeds the the... More even bigger narrative when we speak about Web3, essentially, can there be Web3 without decentralized storage? I don't think so. So, it's uh, I think here, decentralized storage maybe is not as attractive as the new DeFi kind of things and yield farming and stuff like that, but it's a very crucial part of the tech stack.
0: That's a great segue. I want to talk a little bit more about Swarm, but before we get there. Why should someone who isn't into Web3, like Web3 natives like you and me, why should they care about decentralization? Like, why should my mom care about privacy, about data sovereignty, about data interoperability? Like, how do we bring the importance and the weight of this technology to the mainstream, to just the average user who doesn't care about what protocol? the internet runs on top of or how their text messages work? How can we convey the importance of decentralization and these, these various different types of decentralized networks?
1: Excellent question. I would maybe try to answer this uh, in a, yeah, maybe a bit weird way. So I would kind of draw parallels with the vegan movement. And here, a disclaimer, I'm a vegan, so I'm probably also a bit biased here. But uh, what I mean and i will return to swan what i mean with that is so if somebody is asked why did you become a vegan there are several factors that can play into that uh, it's uh, some do it because of their health some do it because they want to avoid suffering of uh, the animals some do it because it's uh, for the well being of the planet etc it's different different reasons some are stronger some less and in a way uh, when we think about decentralized storage and privacy It's kind of the same, very similar. So besides the point that vegan people are the most unpopular people to invite to a dinner, privacy people are probably the most unpopular people to discuss like the newest social media apps, you know, but there are several factors and there is maybe you. the most of the time there is this concern of security and uh, three-letter agencies spying on us and things like that. And it's all about freedom. And... That's definitely, it is important. There are many people who say it's not. And I've seen now like on Twitter, uh, I actually saved some bookmarks, like people posting uh, statements and TikToks, have all my data, I don't care. But that's like coming to the Snowden's uh, quote, uh, that basically freedom of speech, if you say you don't care about freedom of speech, that just means maybe you don't have something to say about it, but that doesn't mean that freedom of speech is not important. And in the same way, yes, privacy is important for that. But I would say it goes even further. Today's world is digital, and the digital influences the physical. So we see the kids going to a concert, not for the good music, but for the stylish selfie on Instagram and to say, I was there. And at the same time, with all what I mentioned before, user modeling and the tech going really deeper. First, its surveillance is not selective. The machines have made it really cheap and we are all surveilled. Our data is just recalled when it fits uh, somebody's uh, needs. The other thing is the less privacy we have, the more we know about people, which I would say literally translates to our economic power online. It's basically how do we negotiate with the services? How do we protect our mind from impulsive buying, from fake news, from uh, essentially manipulation? So in a way, the deeper we go, the more it's about the freedom of the mind. As uh, Harari saying, basically today's governments and corporations, the main battlefield they see is the battlefield of the mind. So it's like all the data that we pull in, That we generate by just being online, this data tells a lot about us. Now, the ironic part is that it's always this mouse and cat game. So, Google's or Facebook—they are chasing for tidbits of information with non-aligned business models, and they make them the conclusions. And probably, Google thinks I'm a very much, a lot more different person as Facebook probably thinks or Twitter. So they all have some actually false ideas about me, but they do create services and actions based on the ideas about me or us, and the users. So uh, economic power in itself, I think it's important. And if we speak about the fair distribution of the value, that's a requirement. The other thing is it's in a way, we've been really taught online some very, very weird practices. You know, imagine if you'd be on a date and there somebody comes with a t-shirt saying facebook on it and they would just sit next and they would say don't mind me continue with your date i'm just taking some notes to know what to sell you later you would be like hey man what the hell you know so but online it's totally okay it's totally okay if our postman comes and says hey i read your mail and you should get this offer if our postman would say that that would not be cool and probably not accepted and it's kind of I think here also when it comes to personal data, we need to think about this, that the current patterns that we are using are just wrong and they're working for a handful of people and corporations. Now, the last point in that sense, I would say is, again, we generate so much data. How could this data work for us? And this means we should have this data in one spot. We should be able to run our own open source machine learning scripts, models, etc. get insights uh, about ourselves, have this supported maybe uh, for medical well-being, et cetera. The data should work for us. And this can only happen when we reclaim it. So I would say there are several reasons. And yeah, sorry for such a long answer. <laughs>
0: No that that's a phenomenal response and I think you did a a great job of kind of leading me into the next question. So if we're going to own our own data in a way that only we have access to it, we're going to need to use a new type of network. So this is where swarm might come in, where I can store my data on a decentralized storage network. So it's it's we're, We're almost halfway through the episode and we still haven't even described what Swarm is. So could you just give us like an elevator pitch or like a high-level view of what Swarm is?
1: Sure. uh, Sure thing. Swarm is a decentralized storage and communication platform. There's, again, there's different interpretations. Some people just kind of understand it a lot easier when we say it's kind of like BitTorrent on steroids. The problem with BitTorrent is popular content can be downloaded very fast but with unpopular content, it just disappears. So this is one of the big questions that Swarm also tackles. How how will the unpopular content be available? And our personal data can be considered unpopular content because, yeah, actually we don't want it to be popular and that everybody downloads it, you know? So so for this, Swarm uh, really made some breakthroughs and innovations in the field, how how the storage incentives are uh, done how basically it really can work in a very decentralized manner. Now, to be part of Swarm, one needs to run a program, a client. We call it a client program. It's called B. And it's in a similar way as with other uh, peer-to-peer data sharing solutions from the past. There is a certain amount of storage contributed to the network. And this, this amount of storage, it's like it's about what, what's the unique thing with Swarm. It's one global hard drive. It's not a file sharing service that I would share a folder with my files and somebody else would download the whole file. No, when a file gets uploaded to the network, it gets broken down in small chunks and these chunks gets, get distributed across the network. This is important for several reasons. It adds more resilience. It makes it more decentralized. So, uh, so one has the feature of uh, upload and disappear one does not need to run a node to store data on the network it's also it protects the node operators because node operators don't actually know what they store they store just little pieces of the files uh, and of course there is also redundancy so if one node operator with some chunks goes offline there's the data still available and this this also has some profound consequences it's um in the majority of other solutions, one, they're, in a way, marketplaces. One does an agreement with, uh, I, if I want to store data, I make an agreement with somebody else who offers storage. Here with Swarm, this agreement, so to speak, under quotes, uh, is done with the network, which means there's no censorship. There's nobody, nobody who can say, you are not allowed to store that data. Swarm is fully permissionless. With how the chunks are also being distributed, it's also it adds layers of privacy to it. And because of all this, how the incentives work and uh, the features that I mentioned, there is also a very strong communication protocol working within Swarm, which enables so-called zero leak communication. So if somebody observes the network, they don't even know that two people might be talking or they cannot see any metadata so this is just on the base layer now one of the things that really very excites me is what this architecture enables and it it enables uh it's basic this chunk based architecture enables that new protocols new solutions can be built on top of swarm, like the data marketplaces that i mentioned or the data unions or new kinds of daos uh maybe daos who negotiate with centralized tech uh, companies or uh, data holders, how to deal with that data. So what we say within Swarm is that we are empowering digital freedom by making data unstoppable. And um, I think this holds very true. I'm ready to be challenged on that front by anybody.
0: That's awesome that you have such a core philosophical drive. Especially in this space where you can have like salty token holders yelling at you or people mad that something isn't delivered as quick as they initially thought it would be. So, to have that kind of like intrinsic drive is almost necessary in the space. Swarm has a lot of differences, but also a lot of comparisons to other file storage networks like SIA, StoreJ, NeoFS, IPFS. So, maybe at a high level, without having to go into detail for how Swarm is different from each different file storage network, what's kind of like the key differentiator that separates Swarm from your competitors?
1: I would say that we are, we are really set out well to be an enabler of what we call fair data economy. So fair data here standing sort of as an alternative to surveillance uh, capitalism. And why we can do this, it's exactly because of our architecture and the incentive system that we have incentive mechanics so uh there are different solutions first okay maybe before going into differentiators i would say that i need to express that myself i'm not a swarm maximalist so i do see a future where different solutions will work and be complementary in the same way as we see today several databases are being used for different use cases or within even one app there will be different economics Also, and some networks might have a better value proposition for backups, uh, some for other things. The good thing with Swarm and with all these chunks and communication protocol and things that I said, I think it can be the most vibrant place when we speak about real-time data, when we speak about uh, data exchange, when we speak about active data. And in, this is how also Swarm was conceptualized from the beginning. It's the hard drive to, of the world computer. So in a way, what I see and hope that uh, we will be successful at is um, what we call the fair data economy, narrow waste. Narrow waste has been used to describe also the internet protocol. And we see with the internet protocol, it's actually very tiny piece in the whole of the internet. But underneath, it combines devices, different networks, and above it, we see all kinds of solutions from World Wide Web to even the blockchain and things uh, that we are speaking about. So, in that sense, forum I think can unite like different data sources, make the economy buzzing, pun intended here, and. Um, we can hopefully we can see like uh new things emerge like uh next uh, generation data unions daos that we mentioned solutions that empower the individual permissionless publishing hopefully you know uh, we will speak in 5 years or 10 years and we will be like wow oh, people have created really cool stuff
0: if you look back to 5 years ago some of the things that are happening right now in the web3 space are just kind of out of this world i can't even imagine what it's going to be like in 5 years What's the incentive model, the incentive mechanism for people who download the B client and start participating in the hard drive for the world supercomputer? What tokens do I receive? What's the rate at which I receive rewards? Do I have to sign a contract? Do I have to donate a certain amount of hard drive space for a certain amount of time? Could you just share a little bit about what that looks like?
1: Sure. So there's different users of Swarm. So, one can be running different types of a node. It can be an ultra light node, light node, and a full node. And based on the decision what to do, there are some specifics. So, for ultra light nodes, it's just about accessing data on Swarm. Let's say I have a website on Swarm. Swarm actually, Swarm Foundation does have a website on Swarm, and there's also a yeah, growing number of other websites, but they did just for ultra light. Um, users. Uh, This can be done very simple. One installs the desktop app, the usual procedure, a couple of clicks, the node is running, that's it. Now the contract can be topped up and this basically, uh, the top up can enable uh, also more, more capacity for uploads. So it can essentially raise the threshold for uploads. This this would be interesting for those who also want to store the data or who want to actively use applications like FairDrive, which is a decentralized Dropbox and backend for developers, or to access any any other uh, things on uh, Swarm. Now, this is also quite suitable to, to have it on your computer just as a background service. You know, to connect it as uh, to connect to Swarm. And here we are working uh, on the ecosystem side with a very interesting concept that we call Web3PC. I can go into that later. Now, running a full node, full node is actually running the same software, but um, it means that the person, uh, the node operator who runs a full node, uh, if they want to be part of the reward system, they need to stake. 10 bus tokens, BZZ tokens. Uh, that's uh, Swarm's uh, Swarm network's uh, token, and then the rest just happens on its own, because uh, every node operator becomes part of the global hard disk, as I mentioned. So there's some syncing already happening, and the data will be automatically stored uh, already on that node. So, and we have the so-called shelling game for the storage incentives. It's happening every epoch, uh, so. In a very stable frequency, so to speak. There's one, there's a check who's holding a certain type, uh, certain data. And if they prove they have the data, they get the reward. The first, we did the storage incentive upgrade release last December. And this was, you know, uh, going back to what you said, that we have strong also intrinsic motivation. So this storage, this version of storage incentives was in the work for seven years. There was so many times when we needed to go back to the drawing board because our team found some hacks, so to speak. It's really a hard problem to do it in a decentralized way. A good month ago, there was also the uh, manual price calibration of the network. But this was a turning moment when running a node should be slightly profitable, so to speak, should cover the cost and then uh, also generate some earnings. And uh, we see we see uh, the network growing. Since then, we see also the first numbers kind of show that usually a node, a single node, kind of wins this draw about two times per week, which uh, right now are really actually good numbers, good numbers. Uh, so uh, and that's all that's needed to be done, and one can be part of the the fair data economy. Now the exciting thing is that. These building blocks actually also enable, and we see uh, there are going to be new incentives coming in the future. Right now, there's just storage and bandwidth incentives. So storage incentives reward for storing, bandwidth for serving uh, the data. But uh, we can see, uh, we expect in the future also to be like the insurers incentives and also in a way like I would say fair data they, uh, define. So we would expect new projects to come up with their layer two incentives, their their tokens that kind of leverage this basic building block.
0: Mm-hmm. And with the current status of the network, is it possible to like stream videos and to stream audio?
1: Yes and no. So uh, we need to be precise. We need to be precise about it. If we are uh, speaking about streaming audio or video from uh, some video that's already stored on the network, that works. Yeah, one can can use it today. Now, if we are speaking about live video, there are some constraints because, as I mentioned before, the data needs to be broken up, distributed uh, across the network. So there is is, uh, some latency to be expected. There is ongoing work also by uh, some ecosystem, by community members to tackle this. We see, actually, latency also coming uh, when people are streaming Zoom to YouTube, that there sometimes can be one minute of latency. So I guess we can accept that latency. There has been, actually, also at Eat Berlin last year, a winning project that did dynamic NFTs, and they were streaming live event into an NFT that was stored on Swarm. So that's exactly, you know, like an example of these new use cases that we wouldn't think uh, think of. But Swarm's architecture in such cases comes to shine because dynamic NFTs are relatively trivial thing to do on Swarm, while it might be quite complicated on other uh, decentralized storage network.
0: I know that it was kind of a contentious issue when Swarm introduced a token. Um, And it's been a few years since then. And I've always grappled with this myself. Do we use a blockchain's native token or do we create a project-specific token? So I'm curious to hear about the role of the Buzz token in the Swarm ecosystem and what were kind of the conversations you and your team were having internally when debating whether to use like a native ETH to pay for storage or to create this new token uh, that will be used in the Swarm ecosystem?
1: Excellent question. We had had a lot of discussions about this and... I would say even the change came about in the second half of 2019, and it goes also to the beginning of our conversation. So 2015 was a different time than we see it today. When Swarm was conceptualized, it was meant to be part of the world computer, there was only the Ethereum blockchain. Today's reality is we see a lot of EVM compatible blockchains even also other things like uh, high gas costs and high transaction costs. Swarm today is not really using the Ethereum mainnet for this reason exactly. So we are currently using Gnosis chain, but we also look at other chains. So the long-term scope of Swarm also changed in the sense that in the future, we would like to see Swarm having multi-chain support so that all the EVM chains would be using the same swarm. And for this to happen, it does need to have its own token. Also, its own token does give a lot more stability to the network as uh, the price of the token is linked to the network and its value proposition, not to other economic forces at play. So uh, it would add, you know, like we see Ethereum and all all the cryptocurrencies, they go up and down. It's, It's a very, still very volatile world. And um, it would add another layer of complexity and risk to the network itself. And especially when we want to also manage our data, when we pay for how long the data should be stored on the network. So uh, going forward, the bus token was uh, actually the only solution that we saw. Now, personally, what I would like to see in the multi-chain future, I would like to see that all this is maybe even hidden under the hood so that uh, whatever chain is being used uh, that uh, the swarm can be used in a seamless way that there is some defi magic happening under the hood translating that token to the bus token and so forth so that the ordinary users and also developers don't really need to grapple with this uh this complexity now at the same time you know it's like We are kind of a swarm in a bit similar uh, situation because we would also, it would make it a lot simpler if all the projects on top of swarm would be using just swarms token. But those projects will also have their own token. In a way, that's part of the UX challenges uh, of the wider community to tackle going forward that there will be countless tokens. So how do we actually manage that? But uh, we do need our own token.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting response because Swarm has been building since, what, 2016,
1: 2017? Yeah, even earlier. So 2015, I would
0: say. So, yeah, I mean, just the the landscape uh, shifts. In 2019, we were barely even talking about L2s or competitive L1s. And now in 2023, you know, Cosmos is here to stay. Arbitrum, Optimism, they're launching... So, we have so much more complexity in the interoperability between various different types of L1s, L2s, different networks that are going to communicate with one another. Uh, so, that makes sense that you can't just use like a native ETH asset because you might be collaborating or there might be other chains that are tapping into the swarm network. My day to day job, I cover uh, NEO, which is an alternative L1. That's been around since 2015. So, this next question that I have is kind of very near and dear to my heart. And it might be different for decentralized storage networks versus public blockchain networks. But older projects just aren't sexy. You have brand new tokens that everybody's talking about. The airdrop comes, it launches to the moon, and nobody's talking about a project that's been building for seven years. So, What is the kind of, if there even is an issue with attracting developers to come build on Swarm, a project that's been around for eight years now, it's not new, it's not shiny, but there's a lot going on under the hood. What are the challenges or maybe even the opportunities that are associated with working for a project now that's eight years old in an industry that loves shiny things Have you found issues or opportunities for attracting new developers? Do you find over time that your outreach methods need to change to attract new developers? What are just kind of your insights with this kind of like word vomit idea that I just threw your way?
1: It's a great question. And um, I also know the NEO project, by the way. I've been at the NEO conference. When was it in? I think it was in 2018 when it was in San Francisco.
0: I was there too. That was my first crypto conference ever.
1: Oh, awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Neo has always uh, been pushing also for very interesting ideas in how, how to upgrade the existing economy through the, through the usage of uh, smart contracts. And I think, you know, it's, it again comes uh, into this question of what are we doing and why are we doing it? And uh, we see already from Web two startups, so to speak, like uh, from legacy startups, uh, in a way, investors know that boring projects are not necessarily uh, bad projects. And those projects uh, create value over time, and they need to. They maybe address uh, a real pressing need. I think in that sense, it's the world is big, and um, the needs are there that need to be tackled. Maybe maybe it's not the first use case to have uh, decentralized storage used for DeFi if it's not needed at all. But we do see a lot of even non-blockchain use cases that uh, could uh, benefit from using decentralized storage. In that sense, we see also what I like uh, and what I'm very happy about it at uh, some hacker conferences, for example, where a lot of hackers have a bit blockchain can also have like a very negative image in certain certain circles because it's connected to many scams to pumping the tokens etc things like that and in those blockchain skeptical circles swarm is actually always welcome because there's the idea centralized storage can serve so much more and in that sense what i also kind of see our role in a bit is even to create a bridge between the legacy economy and the new emerging economy, and uh, hopefully also growing the existing space through that, bringing, bringing new enterprises, new projects uh, into the world of uh, blockchain. So I think it's we just need to persist, work, and hopefully we don't run out of time <laughs> before we have things done. So, yeah.
0: That brings up a really interesting question. Uh, A lot of the guests that have been on the Smart Economy pod that are in the traditional finance banking realm have started acknowledging that these public architectures uh, might be more cost-efficient for a bank to implement rather than having to spend billions of dollars a year to maintain their in-house centralized softwares. So are you seeing a growth in traditional companies that are looking towards decentralized storage as a as an option are we getting to a point where it's more cost effective maybe for some enterprises or for some companies to use a swarm over aws
1: so there's actually quite quite a lot to unpack first enterprises I would uh, describe them as laggards. They are the latest to join and adopt new new technology. They need, uh, that department needs, you know, like track records, see like how how the network performs, stability, et cetera. They also, today still need, let's say, cent- centralized intermediaries between the decentralized solution and uh, what they're uh, building. Having said this, we do see quite a lot of interest in uh, coming more from R&D teams, from how they look uh, where things are going to evolve. And uh, also, this is not just because of the technology, but also because the world is changing. So we see uh, data. For example, we can say the automotive industry. Everybody in the automotive industry is working on self-driving cars. At the same time, all of them have the same Issue the same problem that they don't have enough big data sets to train their AI to do a good job. So these enterprises, these uh, uh, companies, they do need to collaborate, and they do. They do need to put the data sets together. Now, the same applies to the energy sector and other sectors. Quite often, the question arises there is, where do we store the data? And everybody says, "Oh, we can use our servers." which is good for those who uh, who use the for their servers, but not for the others. And decentralized storage here, the breakthrough, one of the breakthroughs that it does is that all the parties know that they're accessing the same data and they don't need to trust each other. So we can definitely hear, I think there's tremendous value to be unlocked. Now, in comparison, uh, decentralized storage and AWS solutions and things like that, again, This goes with what I said before, that I'm not any maximalist in uh, that sense. There's always going to be use cases where AWS just is better to use because maybe we don't even need uh, decentralization uh, for that solution. In that sense, I usually also point out that uh, the cost structure is not really comparable because... What Swarm does, Swarm complements the blockchain. It continues there. Uh, It complements the blockchain with big data, with private data, sensitive data, so uh, to enable data-rich applications in Web3. Now, how much does censorship resistance cost? How much does it? uh, How much is it worth? How much is privacy worth? For some use cases, we just, in the same way as why we use the blockchain for computation and not Google Compute Cloud. We just need to use decentralized storage. There are also very interesting use cases that we see in the enterprise sector that are possible just with this paradigm change that can't be really done so well with AWS. So Swarm is an immutable storage. Now, in the enterprise context, this could also mean that it's ransomware proof. Because ransomware cannot change the existing data, it just needs to upload new encrypted data. Doesn't ransomware on so on does not make sense. Or um, when we look at uh, what's happening in Europe, where there was GDPR started years ago, so today in Europe you come to a website, you need to click a lot and give like consents to the website to the uh, company behind it. Now this consent is just being saved in their database, but the user forgets it. The moment they switch the tab, they forget what kind of consent they gave. Now, again, this is a very simple, simple thing to do. It's store GDPR constant receipts on Swarm. The users know what they, what kind of consents they gave and the enterprises also can access it. But at the same time, what happens is the enterprise has offloaded personal data to the user. So they also reduce their risk. They they have become less of a honeypot. They have decreased their compliance costs, in this case, in Europe, etc. So it's a multitude of factors. I would say it's really, I would not dare to really make any predictions how much the storage will cost on swarm in a year or two. I think this is something where we will need uh, basically more time to also observe the behavior and the solutions that uh, are built on top of swarm.
0: Yeah that makes sense to build the economic model based as usage comes along and also very fair to not make any predictions predictions can be the downfall <laughs> so kind of wrapping up um there are two things i wanted to touch on but while you were talking about the automotive companies requiring these large data sets and not wanting to store their data on another on a competitors storage network the fair data society kind of popped into my mind. So can you just share a little bit about what Fair Data Society is, how Swarm Foundation supports it, who participates in this? Is it a protocol? Is it a collaboration of people, entities? Could you just share a little bit more?
1: Yes, uh, glad to do it. So it's first and foremost, which is maybe a bit of also unsatisfying answer, I would say Fair Data Society is an idea is an idea that it's solidifying around several DAOs, initiatives, and projects. Why the Swarm support Fair Data Society is exactly because we just don't want to build a technical solution, or it's not just about inventing how the storage incentives might work. For that, we could be a university department, put out papers, that's it. As engineers, we just also don't want to see the solution to, to work, but we want to see positive social impact. Happening. And in other words, we would like to see our, our stuff being used for good things. And I think that kind of resonates with the big majority of the developers, especially in this in this space. Now, looking at Swarm and the base layer, there are things that are very important to us exactly for this good use, but that, that are also outside of our scope. So when I speak about data interoperability between apps or dapps, Data interoperability is a requirement for data sovereignty. It's a, it's an antidote towards, uh, for a data silos. So we really do want to support data interoperability, but on the base layer, there's not much that can be done. So it's kind of in that way, we see it also as our moral responsibility to do what we can do in order to support the ecosystem developing in the desired direction. And other other values that uh, basically, per data society in a way is an initiative where the tech meets the social, when we also speak about the ethics. So again, on Swans layer, it's just chunks going back and forth between the notes. It's ones and zeros. It's uh, a lot of these questions are not directly related. At the same time, we also do not consider ourselves as philosophers, as ethicists, and You know, I'm personally very much against that companies write their own ethics charters. It kind of incorporates their biases, but while making them feel good. And the ethics and that kind of discussion, it's about figuring out what kind of world, what kind of future do we want to live in and connecting and going towards that. In that sense, also... Fair Data Society does extend and wants to extend beyond Swarm. Swarm just incubated it and helped it to grow. But you know, when we speak about privacy or any other these things, this does not end with Swarm. So it's, it's more about our effort to steer and enrich the conversation in figuring out what we are building. It's not just about figuring out how something works.
0: Yeah that's that's fascinating insight really really great to hear how a collective of engineers is trying to create a ubiquitous set of ethics that go beyond just their entity or what project they're working on so we're we're running out of time and usually I like to end the interview with uh what are you excited about upcoming that swarm might launch but I'm just going to interpose kind of what I want to hear you talk about next and that's odyssey the web3 computer so could you share a little bit about the roadmap for this new computer that swarm is working on and just tell us a little bit about it
1: sure uh happy happy to do that so in a way in a way one could think of the swarm odyssey the web3 pc as like a google chromebook without google it's um here we try we try also to explore and look at the concepts uh, of being local first and extending seamlessly into swarm into the decentralized storage. So in that way, our data is with us, but also available. We can just plug into that data from anywhere uh, we want. Now, swarm itself this is exactly one of these uh, one of these examples. Swarm Foundation does not directly work on the Web three PC but uh, we do see it as an important step uh, towards a self-sovereign future and it's uh we'd like uh, to support the ecosystem with it the central uh central values of the project are things like privacy data interoperability and data sovereignty that i mentioned and at the same time we are here we do see it as an exploration with our ecosystem with our uh, grantees and participants how can we basically connect the dots into something meaningful and purposeful. So in that sense, the Web3 PC, the Swarm Odyssey, it, it's not planned to be like a hardware product or anything or a new operating system on its own. Maybe in a, in a very simplified way, it could even be just considered as its own distribution that actually sets up everything in a seamless way. And again, the concept should not be limited to just Swarm. It should encompass uh, other solutions and actually draw on the richness of of the ecosystem. It should empower the freedom of the person who uses it.
0: Awesome. There were so many topics that we didn't get to discuss, like hosting decentralized websites and the grants that Swarm Foundation offers and the types of projects that SF is trying to incentivize and the types of builders you guys are trying to attract. But maybe we can save that for another podcast on another day. Gregor, thank you so much for sharing an hour of your time with us. This was a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts, your concepts, talking with an OG builder, someone who's been building on the same project for multiple years. It's always refreshing to run into folks like you who uh, have stuck through thick and thin with a project. So I just want to thank you so much for, for coming to share an hour with us today.
1: Thank you very much for the invite, Dylan. I found also your questions uh, to be very thoughtful and it uh, also gave the possibility to explore concepts outside of Swarm. So uh, uh, basically, we could speak a lot about the context in which we are uh, and why we are doing this. And hopefully, yeah, uh, happy to continue the conversation anytime.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining and uh, definitely looking forward to catching up again. Thank you. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was super interesting to learn more about how Swarm has adapted to the changes of the blockchain industry, specifically how the project has evolved towards a multi-chain thesis. It was also really cool to hear Gregor highlight how he thinks this technology can be used to empower people by giving them control over their data And I will definitely be keeping an ear to the ground for enterprises that begin to drop breadcrumbs about adding decentralized storage to their tech stack. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.